Thanks for taking some time to listen to this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe God will speak to you right where you are. Now, let's take a moment and prepare our hearts to hear this week's message. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing today? You guys good? Come on. Hey, I'm super excited because we are wrapping up a series today called Don't Give Up the Ship. And if you were here for week one of this series, I talked about how we are going to answer your questions Uh, as we wrap this thing up. And so that's what we're going to do today. But before I get to that, let me tell you about a couple different things. One is next week, I'm starting a new series called Here to There, talking about this journey that I think God wants to take us on when it comes to our finances. Because how many of you know, this time of year, things can get real out of control. Come on, be honest. Like we're entering into the holiday season. And so a lot of us, you know, we, uh, the average person, uh, I think, you know, I uh, forget what it is. The credit card debt holds about $20,000 in credit card debt. And so we're going to talk a lot about that because God's word really has a lot to say about how we handle our finances, how we go from where we are to finding financial freedom, uh, to what God says about debt and generosity and stewardship. And so it's going to be a lot of practical uh, information. That's going to start next week. So please, I want to invite you back to that. And then on December 7th and 8th, those of you that have been around the church for a while know that we do what's called an Until Jesus Runs This Town offering. And that's an above and beyond offering that goes to uh, really advance God's mission through this church in our city. It's not to keep the lights on. It's not any kind of operational stuff that we do here. Like we steward uh, the resources that we have very, very well. Uh, And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that. That's all above and beyond. Like we know that God wants to do more and through this church in this city. And so we're gonna look at some of our legacy lanes, uh, like our outreach, our, our dream center, our planting churches through ARC. You know what we do for global missions through Convoy of Hope. And so you're gonna hear a lot about that. So here's what we ask you to do. Just put it on your calendar. Like we don't say this is what you should give, this is what you have to do. The Bible says don't give under compulsion. And so we just say pray about it. Ask God what he would have you bring and then just do what he says. That's it. You're never gonna hear us say you gotta do this, you gotta do this. We just simply say ask God and do exactly what he tells you to do. So we'll remind you from time to time that that's coming up, but we're not gonna hound you uh, along the way. So December 7th and 8th, just come prepared for that. After all, it's the Christmas season. We celebrate Christmas, you know, it's Jesus's birthday, but we're the ones getting gifts. And so we just think, hey, our first gift should go to the the one uh, that came and gave his life for us. And so that's what we're gonna do December 7th and 8th. All right, today, I'm super excited because we're answering your questions. And as I thought about, you know, how we're gonna wrap this thing up, I thought there really is nobody better than to help me offer some perspective than my wonderful wife, Kristen, of 21 years. Come on, somebody, 21 years. That's awesome. And I knew I loved her the moment that I laid eyes on her and that she could not keep her hands off of me. So can you guys help me welcome my wife? Come on, Kristen. Let's go, let's do this. Thanks, baby. You can sit right there. Um, But we're super excited to dive into this stuff today and to really talk to you about the the questions that that you asked. Uh, And here's what I want to say about that, is that if we don't get to your specific question that you asked, because there are lots of common themes that we received in these questions, I would invite you to do this. Email me. 
Like if we don't talk about your specific thing and we don't address it at some point, email me that question at colby at elevatechurch.com and I'll do my best to respond to it. Some questions we just don't have time to get to. Other ones, really, I need a little more information from you because the context, uh, you know, could be one way and I'm addressing it from a different way. And so uh, go ahead and email me those. And what we're going to share with you today really is the product of being raised in godly homes. Kristen and I are not the perfect, you know, couple. We're not the perfect, you know, I'm not the perfect pastor. And if you're looking for a church, you know, with a perfect pastor and perfect couple, this ain't it. All right. (laughs) We're far from it. We're just kind of kicking back today. We're going to relax kind of like our living room. I may put my feet up here. I might just get real comfortable. Uh, But we want to share with you some things that we've seen modeled in our home, some things that we've learned. Kristen's parents are a big part of this church. And so really, we're just a pass-through of things that we've been taught. And we like to say some things are better caught than taught. And so a lot of what we've seen. And so we just want to honor our parents in the process. The example that they have left for us and that rich, godly heritage that we have. And we we pray that for all of you guys as well, too, that even if you might not have come from a Christ-centered family or you don't have a rich, godly heritage, that we pray that you forever change your family tree and that you begin to leave that godly legacy for your children and for your grandchildren. And we will say this might be PG-13 or rated M for mature because you asked some mature questions, all right? So this would be a great time to visit our Elevate Kids program. (laughs) If you have little ones... I just want to throw that out there. Uh, And again, we're going to do our best to to answer these questions. Um, And let me start in with an easy one because we at least got one easy one. Uh, Somebody asked this question, real question that came in, and that is, does Chick-fil-A love me as much as I love them? (laughs) And I'd say the answer right now is absolutely not. No. Because they left us, they shut their doors. We are on a break right now, yes, us and Chick-fil-A. we're on a break. <laughs> uh, no, this is actually a great question because I do feel like I have a personal relationship with Chick-fil-A. Anybody else <laughs> kind of have a, yeah, all right, I'm with you. Yeah, so I'm lonely right now. Um, Here, here's the first question. The first real question. The first real question. And okay. let me just say this. Uh, we hope these challenge you. We, we hope that, you know, you're probably going to hear some things that we say and like, I don't agree with that. And guess what? That's Okay. Like if you come and you agree with everything that's been said at church, that just means you're not using your brain, right? You're not engaging your brain. You're not thinking on your own. And so we want you to think on your own. We hope this challenges you. We hope that some of this stretches you. We hope that you leave here encouraged, right, that you can do this. So here are the yes. real, that was a real question, but here are the real. It actually Let's was, go. but okay, here we'll, we'll dive in. This was from a student, and it's a great question. It says, I'm a student. I've noticed that students seem to be dating at earlier and earlier ages. Is there a specific time or age that you feel or the Bible says is an appropriate time to start dating? Yeah, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about dating specifically. And so I will say this, where the Bible gives us clear direction, we're going to tell you exactly what God's word says. Where it doesn't, we're going to give you principles that I hope uh, you, know, you can apply and use. And this is one of those areas uh, because the Bible back during biblical times, it was more about arranged marriages, which as a father of four boys, I'm kind of four. I just want to throw that out there. So you got some girls? All right, let's talk <laughs> later on. Um, but God's word does give us some principles. In Proverbs 4.23, it says this, above all else, guard your heart because everything flows from it. And the idea of having a guard means that there's something worth guarding. Yeah. And so your heart is something that is worth guarding. 
I want you to know that whoever asked this question, you are valuable. Like you are, God's destiny for your life is valuable. Uh, God's plan and purpose for your life is something that is worth guarding. So don't see yourself as anything other than worthy and highly valued by God. And since you're valued by him, what this is saying is to put a guard over your heart. In other words, just don't give your heart away to anyone. Just don't kind of let it hang out there for anyone to grab a hold of. And I would encourage you in this season of, of searching and who's the right one, we always get that question, you know, you know is there just one or, or uh, you know, I got to find the right one. I got to find the right one. I would say in this season, focus more on becoming the right one than finding the right one. Good. Like becoming the person that God wants you to become. And then that way, you know, he'll... he'll Create that, that plan that he has for your life. And as you follow through with it, I promise you he'll bring along the person that's going to help propel you into that plan that God has for your life. And I would also say during the season, because we got a lot of questions on it, is focus on your purity during that time. A lot of people will ask, you know, you know what about sex outside of marriage, uh, premarital sex, you know, extramarital, you know, relationships. God's word says a lot about our sexual purity. In fact, Hebrews 13, 4 is one of those verses that says, hey, the marriage bed should be undefiled. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, I think that entire chapter talks a lot about how, you know, the marriage bed is reserved for a husband and wife. In the beginning, right, God set husband and wife together in the garden. He had the first marriage, and he brought two together, and they become one. And you can't unwind something that has become one. So I would focus on this season being sexually pure in your searching while you're searching and also focus on the friends that you bring into your life because those friends that you surround yourself with really will uh, kind of help lead you into God's plan and purpose for your life or they'll hijack it from you. They will easily pull you away from what God's best is for you. So find godly people, like quality people that you can surround yourself with. A lot of people say, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And that's so true. Like make sure you're running in the right group of people, and also honor your parents in the decision. Like if you want to date and your, your mom or dad thinks, you know, that person's no good for you or that's not great, like I would just say while you're in their house, you honor and listen to your parents. This is a value that we've lost uh, by and large in our culture, and I didn't do this very well along the way, but I think my mom, you know, she prayed some girls out of my life. Let me just say that. <laughs> Thank you, Sandy. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would just add to that, just to date with purpose. Don't yeah. just date to be dating or date just to have a significant other, but really date with a purpose. And that purpose is to have a long-term relationship that eventually leads to marriage. Right, right. And I, I joke around with my kids all the time. Um, we've got four boys. They're all way too young to be dating right now. But if they come home and they talk about a specific girl, I will ask them. I'll say, well, does she love Jesus? would you marry her one day? And our fourth grader like gags, right? When I mention marriage, but I want to ask them those types of questions yeah. when we're having a conversation about dating. Questions like, does she love Jesus? And questions like, could you see yourself marrying her? Not questions like, well, do you think she's cute? Because if, if they think she's pretty and she likes soccer like they do, then great. Like be friends, hang out in groups, have fun, but you don't necessarily need to be dating. You always want to date with a purpose. Did you notice our, our ninth grader, he doesn't gag anymore? No, that's start true. Talking about girls. Starting to not gag as much. Not gagging. There's no gagging. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I just think dating with a purpose, waiting till your parents, you know, are telling you that you're ready to start that dating process. Yeah. And, and um, I think, though, you probably dated, started dating when you were, like, elementary school. I've heard stories, you guys. Listen, um, we didn't call it dating. <laughs> we called it going with. Anybody call it going with back then? I'm going with. Where did and you they go? were twins. It was Tisha and Tria. <laughs> and I went with both of them. Not at the same time. Like my friend and I, this is like fifth grade, people. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, next question. <laughs> my husband is hooked on Facebook and internet blogs. I feel he has more of a relationship with a computer than with me. All we do is sit in front of the TV every night. How do we engage each other? How do I get him to omit the computer and limit himself? I don't want to be a parent or nag, but I am very lonely. I do want to address this question because I think technology is something that we have to learn to navigate. Yeah. Like technology, is, technology has become such a huge part of our lives. It's everywhere you go. It's everywhere you look. It's on every device really that you have. Uh, 24-7 access, you know, on television. If you don't watch TV, you know, with thousands of channels, you can stream, you know, Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is. So we now have this relationship that we have with technology. And I think a lot of times it's easy for us to get sucked into technology because we like our virtual lives better than our real lives. You know what I'm talking about? We like the lives that we put out there for everyone to see because after all, I can put out there the me that I want you to think I am. Like, so I can always post the best picture with the best angle where you can only see, you know, one of my chins instead of all of my chins and just as long as it's high enough. There's a country song. I don't know who sings it, uh, but it says something like, I'm much cooler online. You know the song I'm talking about? Yeah. If you don't, that's okay because it's, it's country. But <laughs> what? I am. I, I agree with that. I am so much cooler online. And so it's easy for us to really start to like our virtual lives better than our real lives because that's what we want people to see. Simon Sinek, who is an author, uh, said this in an interview that whenever we engage in technology or social media, the same endorphins are released into our brain as when you are doing cocaine or crack or a drug. So there is this addictive nature to technology that you're always looking for that next fix. You're always looking for that next like on your picture or that next comment on your post. And if we're not careful, right, we can become addicted to uh, technology in our life. A British law firm did a recent survey of 2,000 couples and discovered, and let's see if this doesn't apply to some of you, that 50% of couples argue over time spent on social media at least once a week. Hmm. How true is that? And then there was a study done of some divorce attorneys here in the U.S. where 80% of them said that social media was the main source they used in gathering evidence for that divorce case. Wow. Looking at past posts, looking at Facebook history, looking at all this kind of stuff. So I would just say technology isn't horrible, but if we're not careful, we can allow it to supersede meaningful relationships in our life. And we can allow it to replace like meaningful face-to-face kind of relationship. So for this question, the person that was asking, I have a couple of thoughts specifically. When approaching that person, your spouse, about the issue or really about any issue, uh, what you don't want to do is go to them and say, hey, you do this and you do this and you do this. How many of you know that's going to shut the conversation down immediately? 
That's going to put them on the defensive. That's going to back them in, you know, up into their hole. They're going to want to dig in. And so anytime you're confronting anyone, uh, or even if it's in a business, you're a business owner and you have some employees that you need to confront, you always start with the facts. Here's what happened. Hey, I came home and you were on the computer. I came home and you were on your phone. And then I tried to have a conversation with you, and you were still on your phone. And it's like you weren't even engaging with me. So simply state the facts. And then the second thing is tell them how it made you feel. Like it makes me feel unwanted. It makes me feel like you don't care. It makes me feel like, you know, I'm less than, you know, I'm not important to you. Like you're not, you're not blaming them. Uh, you're not accusing them of anything. You're simply saying, this is how I feel. And then number three, you ask them, can we talk about this? So this is what happened. This is how it makes me feel. Can we talk about this? Because I don't want there to be anything between us. That's a really uh, great godly way to disarm a potentially, a potentially, potential. Can somebody please say that word? Potentially. Potentially. Just potentially. Volatile conversation. <laughs> all right. And, and a couple of practical things about this. Um, I think that you should have a technology-free space in your home. Hmm. Like we're not great at this all the time, but when I come home, I put my phone on the kitchen counter and I just let it go. Like I disconnect from it or put it in the back bedroom, place it someplace, you know, that it doesn't even, it's not even in your line of sight. You can't hear it. You know, just, I would have a technology free space. And then I'd also say, make sure that your spouse has an all access pass to any device, meaning passwords, like meaning any passwords for like texting or social media or email accounts, you need to give, be an open book to your spouse. Now, I know some of you, the pushback is, no, nah, I don't want to do that because I'm my own person. Hey, listen to me. You, you misunderstood what I do meant. When you said mm -hmm. I do at the altar, you said for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Like marriage is the greatest act of selflessness anybody will ever engage in. And so I would say, like, you, you make sure that you are an open book to that person, that there are no secrets. And if you push back and say, you know, well, I don't want him to know, I don't want her to know, I would ask you why not. What are you trying to hide? Because if there is no fear of hiding something, then there would be no fear of having accountability in that yeah. relationship either. So I just say there's some things that we need to put in place when it comes to technology. Yeah. I would say, too, that we're just to be aware that we're modeling for our kids. Yeah. Like, they're always watching That's us. That's true. And so we're modeling for our kids if they don't yet have a phone. Um, but we're, we're modeling for all of them what we want their relationship with technology to look yeah. like when yeah. they do have that in their hands. And, and I think it's kind of scary because we, we're the first like, generation of parents that have to do that. Like we, our parents did not have phones in their pockets all the time. Um, and so we, we're kind of making up these rules and so it's kind of scary, and we're hoping we're doing it the right way. But, but one of the things that we do is we just don't allow cell phones at our dinner table for Colby and I. Um, and our hope is that one day when all six of us have phones, that we're not a family of six sitting around a table, yeah, all of us right. on our devices. And so we're modeling now what we want our kids' relationship with technology to look like when they grow up. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Okay, next question. Um, sometimes I struggle with the feeling of guilt when I think about 
going away with my husband on our own mini vacation. Mm. Having three kids, working full-time jobs, and serving in the church on weekends keeps us so busy. I fear I'm losing the connection that we used to have pre-kids because we don't make date nights or trips away a priority. How do we make this a priority and remove the guilt of leaving our kids behind while we go have fun? So there's probably a lot of you in this room that can identify with this question. Um, but the first thing I want to touch on is just this, the feeling of guilt that she mentions in the question. I know for moms, we've kind of been branded with this thing and that, that we say now, and that's mommy guilt. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, but just a few minutes ago at the beginning of our service, we sang about how Jesus has overcome sin and death and the grave and shame and guilt, and we don't have to carry that feeling around with us right. anymore. That's right. So if we can just rename that mommy guilt, let's call it mommy grace, and I think that would just help our outlook when we go to address questions and issues like this about leaving our kids. So um, as far as feeling like that you can't get away because of your kids and you feel bad for having fun without them, I would just, I would challenge you to ask yourself this question. What's the vision that you have for yeah. your marriage? Create a vision plan for, for your marriage with your spouse. Proverbs 14.1 says, a wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. And in the message version, it says, lady wisdom builds a lovely home. So I know for, for me, for the vision that, that I have, that we have for this marriage, like Colby said, we've been married 21 years, but in 31 years, and in 41 years, and 51 years, yeah. like as long as we have together, alive together, married, we want to be in love with each other, That's right. right? That's right. Right? That's the goal. Yes. So in order for that to happen. For you not to kill me in my sleep. <laughs> Never. For in, in order for that to happen, we've got to be building something right now that in 16 years, when all of our kids are finally out of the house, yes. we've got a ways, but we've got to be building something now so that when they're all out of the house, that we're even more in love yeah. then, right? Because if we're not intentional about that, mm -hmm. it is so easy for us to become roommates right? Strangers living in the same house together. So how do we make sure we stay in love? Well, we all want to be more like Jesus, right? And so I feel like Jesus has something actually to say about this very specific thing. So I want us to check out this passage in Mark um, and notice in this passage what Jesus did when he felt torn with all of the craziness in his own life. It's Mark 6, 31 and 32. It says this, then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even time, have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. So Jesus took all of the people that, that were pulling at him for his attention and he left them. And he just took the people, the closest people to him, and he took a boat ride with them to be secluded. So there you have it. I think Jesus went on a cruise, right? There you go. And I think that is a word for us today. That's the word of the Lord. <laughs> that you should take me on a cruise. Let's do it. Okay. Let's go. Get a babysitter. <laughs> I'm there. Isn't it comforting to know, though, that Jesus himself needed, he found it necessary in his own life just to take a break right. and to get away. And I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give our kids is to show them that this relationship right here, that mommy and daddy together, that this relationship is important. 
that us getting away occasionally to take times for ourselves, that when we're good, you know, the rest of the family, the rest of the home is good too. And so maybe you're in a place in your life right now where you can't take an overnight trip. I just want to give you a couple quick practical things that maybe you can do, things that we've done along the way, things that we still do. The first is just to swap childcare with a family, uh, friends of yours. People who maybe have kids the same age that you do, you all have the same toys and movies and all that kind of stuff, but just make a plan to switch, swap childcare with each other. Uh, the second thing is to have a date night in. This is one of our favorite things that we do. We do this a lot. And the way it works in our family is we feed our kids whatever, like frozen Wegmans pizza really quick, feed them that, and we put them to bed, and then we order something nice in for just the two of us. Heck yeah. We have dessert. We got four kids, people. We feed feed them hot dogs, whatever. Um, Then we put them to bed. We watch a movie. We read a book. Whatever it is that, that you like to do. And also... We're in a place right now in our life where we've got teenagers who like to stay up later than we do. So we know that can become challenging. And um, so our advice for that is just set a time actually every single night at our house at 9 p.m. Even if that's not your bedtime yet, you go upstairs and you are in your room and you're having some quiet time because mommy and daddy at 9 o'clock, we're off duty. That's right. Like we're tired. It's it. We've clocked it's, out. It's, yes, it's Kristen and Coley time at 9 o'clock. And this, if, if your kids struggle with this, we're going to let you in on a little secret. This is what you do. If they don't leave the room. We tell them, if you don't go upstairs, you're just going to watch us make out on the couch. <laughs> and then you'll never be able to sleep again, probably for the rest <laughs> of your life. So it's to your benefit. To leave upstairs with you. That's right. <laughs> So if you're somebody today and you, and you hear yourself saying that, like, I can't do this, I, f- I would feel guilty about going on vacation without my kids, I just want to challenge you to just remove that word guilt, yeah. guilty, from your vocabulary. Over the years, I've just had to retrain myself, the way I talk to myself, um, because guilt is something that I need to feel when I have sinned against God and I've not repented yet. That's when I need to feel guilty. But investing in my marriage is not something I yeah, need right. to feel guilty about it. So I would just challenge you to, to replace that word, replace it with, you know, I'm sad or I feel torn, because those types of words don't carry that condemnation along with it, right? And so it's easier to get over words like, oh, I'm sad when I leave my kids, or I feel torn about leaving my kids. And it's really easy to get over them when you step foot on that cruise ship, right? That's right. I'm over <laughs> it. Like, I'm sad, but I think I'm all right now. <laughs> And again, this is the same thing with technology. Just remember that we're modeling for our kids. They're watching, and we're modeling for them um, the kind of relationship that we hope and pray that they have with their spouse one day. Yeah, somebody once told us that the best thing your kids can see is you guys having a rocking marriage. Yeah, Like really, as they grow up, seeing that. And a couple practical things about that, Uh, and these are goals for us, which doesn't mean we always hit them, all right? They're goals, but we say practically a date night once a week or every other week or even a date day. If that's yeah. what you can do, like go out to lunch, you know, with one another. Kristen and I, we would just try to have lunches together, kind of a date day. Uh, and then every quarter, like an overnight, if possible, just you two, just get away for the night. And then once a year, a mini vacation, just the two of you. Maybe it's two or three nights away. I mean, we have so many great things locally, uh, peak and peak, or you can go to the Finger Lakes, you can drive there, but just get away the two of you. Yeah, that's great. I heard once um, that you should dialogue daily. Date weekly, depart 
quarterly or yearly or whatever, yeah. but those three Ds, dialogue, date, and depart. Yeah, that's good. Okay, next question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. I'm in a romantic relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus, and I feel unfulfilled and uninspired by the relationship, but can't bring myself to end it. I've tried many times to bring them to Elevate, but they have not attended yet. I tried to show the love of Christ to this person through my actions and words, but I don't feel like I'm making a difference. Is this type of situation worth the effort, or should I move on? Yeah, this is one of those questions. We got tons of questions like this. So let's just go straight to God's word uh, and see what he says about it. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, that don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? This is the Apostle Paul uh, speaking to us about relationships, saying basically, don't do that. Like it's not a great idea for you to get involved with someone who is an unbeliever or if you're a believer or if you're an unbeliever, get involved with someone who is. It's not a great idea. Now, I don't know if you're here today and you take offense to that. You're like, man, I find that offensive. I'm not a follower of Jesus, you know, but I want to date someone who is uh, that offends me. I would just ask you, why does that offend you? Like, why do you find offense to that? Because Paul isn't saying that Christians are better than someone else. Like, that's not what it says. In fact, the whole idea of Christianity is that we know we're not better, is we know that we are in desperate need of something else, that we can't do this on our own. Uh, the Christ follower is someone who is called out on the name of Jesus because we desperately need his grace in our life and for the spirit to work through us. So it's not about being better than someone else. So I would ask you, why do you take offense to that? Uh, what Paul is saying is that when you are a follower of Jesus, that should now inform everything about your life. It should inform the decisions that you make about parenting. It should inform the decisions you make about your money, uh, how you spend your money, about generosity, about debt, about stewardship. It should inform the decisions you make about who you engage in a relationship with. Like it should inform every aspect of your life, your values, all that stuff. And so what he's saying is why on earth would you wanna become bound with someone who doesn't carry those same values? Who doesn't share that same perspective? Because if you guys are unequally balanced in that area, you're just setting yourselves up for disaster. You're setting yourselves up for a, a train wreck, for a bunch of stress in the relationship and in the marriage when, come on, somebody, like, help me out. Marriage is already stressful enough, is it not? Yeah. Like, because you're bringing, you know, two different people together from two different families, two different routines that are now trying to come under one roof and trying to live together and do life together. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize that about you. I didn't know you drank out of the carton, you know, milk jug, you know, all the time, which I do. I didn't know that you, you know, squeeze the toothpaste from the top instead of the bottom or, or you put the toilet paper on so it rolls this way or the <laughs> other way. You're trying to learn one another. Like Kristen, you know, I didn't know that, that she had the olfactory lobes of a bloodhound because she can smell like every little thing all the time. Like it's unbelievable. I live with five boys. There's a lot of smells Very in my sensitive house. olfactories. Uh, she did not know that my toes twitch constantly and I did not know that would bug her, you know, till, you know, by knowing. So it's like, so you're putting two people together and you're trying to learn one another. And so throw on top of an already complex situation, opposing worldviews. And a yeah. worldview is just the way that you see the world, how you interpret the world. And as a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to see the world through what God's word says. 
And so if you have opposing worldviews, now you're just adding complexity on top of complexity on top of complexity. And it is a recipe for disaster. So I would tell this person, uh, my counsel to you is absolutely in the relationship. Like, like don't end it because you think you're better than or because you want to hurt somebody. End it because, honestly, you're trying to save both of you from a lot of pain and a lot of heartache down the road. And if you hear that and you're like, man, that sounds really harsh, that sounds really mean, let me just say this. Sit on our side of the table for a while and talk to people who are in this very situation that they knew exactly what God's word said, but they decided to go against God's word anyway, and now they're going through an ugly divorce. Now they can't, you know, they're fighting and bickering constantly. God's word is there to protect you, not to harm you. He gives us boundaries, not because he wants to kind of keep us under control. He puts those boundaries in our life so we don't get hurt. And so I would say, man, just sit on our side of the table, you know, for a while. Because it's painful and it hurts when you go outside of the way that God says. In fact, another question similar to this. Which, again, I know this causes a lot of pain and tension in relationships. Somebody asked that, you know, what about since you've been, been married, you've become a follower of Jesus? And your spouse isn't, but you are now. And it's creating problems. Well, again, Paul shares something about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14. He says this, now I will speak to the rest of you, though I don't have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And I know, don't get caught up on the fact that it says, you know, have a direct command from the Lord. We believe all scripture is God-breathed. You know, all scripture was given to us, you know, through God's spirit. Uh, In fact, he says, uh, people will come up to me and say, well, yeah, but my husband's not a believer, you know, and I, I met Jesus, and I think I should leave him. Paul says, don't do that. He says, if a believing woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. And the same goes for the husband. And for the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. First Peter 3 tells us the same goes for you wives. Be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs. I love the way they put this. There are husbands who, indifferent as they are to any words about God, in other words, they don't want to hear about it. They don't have time for it. You're married, your husband you know, doesn't want to hear about God. You're, you're married and your wife doesn't want to hear anything about God. It says they will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. So just living a godly life in front of them, not nagging them, not always being critical of them. Can I tell you something? You are not the Holy Spirit in their life. You are not conviction in their life. No man or woman has ever nagged their spouse into a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. It doesn't work. Like you live a godly life in front of them and by that life you will captivate them. So I would just say if this is you and you're in this situation, love them, honor them, respect them, pray for them. Like as much as you can, ask God to do a work in their heart. Any change that that you see in their life because you've nagged them to that place will be a temporary change. People can modify behavior for a period of time, but ultimately only God can change a heart. And so you allow God to do a work inside of their life. That's good. Good? Good, good. Okay, this one is a challenging question for you. It says, as a couple, my husband and I have chosen to move on together after an affair. Hmm. To my husband's dismay, I've been struggling with cutting the other party out of my life as I've truly developed a friendship with him. 
My friend feels, I'm sorry, not my friend. My husband feels I should never speak to this person again. What should I do? Yeah, well, first of all, man, I applaud you for staying. I applaud you for saying, you know what, retreat is not an option for us. And I hope this is an encouragement to someone here today that God can heal, that God can restore even a broken marriage, even after uh, an affair or infidelity in the relationship. But I want to address this tough question uh, through Scripture, Matthew 19. The Bible says, haven't you read the Scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning God made them male and female. He says, you know that. You know, from the beginning, from the book of Genesis, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So not only does something physical take place in a marriage, but also something spiritual. And so he says, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has brought together. Maybe you've been at a wedding and you heard, uh, you know, whoever was officiating the ceremony say, no, let no one put asunder you know what God has brought together, which means the same thing. It just sounds more powerful. Don't put asunder. Hmm. It means to divide, you know, to, to split up, to separate. So what God is telling us, that marriage is not just a commitment. It is a covenant, a covenant between you, God, and your spouse. And in the, the marriage covenant, you become one. And this oneness is something that only God brings together. So whenever there is an affair or infidelity, it, it fractures that oneness. And it also fractures that trust, by the way. Because if you don't have trust, you don't have a relationship. You can't have a relationship unless it's built on, on trust. But when there's infidelity, it fractures that trust. And I would say if that's been fractured and broken, it is now solely on the shoulders of that person who violated the trust to repair, to restore you know, that, that oneness that has been fractured to begin to rebuild that trust. And so I would say in terms of this question for that person, you absolutely cut off any and all communication with that other person. And you do it because if you're committed to rebuilding that marriage, then that marriage relationship supersedes any other relationship yeah. in your life. I don't care if you think they're friends. I don't care what, like, you, you do you do whatever you can to rebuild that, that trust. And by the way, it's not going to happen overnight. A lot of times something that was broken and it took years to break, we think, you know, we would like to be rebuilt in a day or in a week and for things to get better. Can I tell you something? Like it's going to take you a long time to rebuild that trust, but it's solely now on your shoulders to do it. However, I think this also brings up a great question about boundaries. Because a lot of people ask, well, what boundaries do you put into place to protect you? from this kind of stuff. And Kristen and I have very strict boundaries in our relationship uh, when it comes to, you know, communicating or relating with people of the opposite sex. One thing is I will never get into the car with someone, get in a car with someone by myself of the opposite sex, unless I'm related to them, which is nobody in Pennsylvania. There's nobody here, all right? <laughs> Just not. Um, and I won't even text somebody for the most part of someone of the opposite sex without adding my wife to the communication chain. I'll make sure she's a part of it. We just set a really high standard because here's what I've learned. There is not a man or a woman on the planet who is exempt from falling into temptation. Yeah. I don't care who you are. I don't care you know, what you, how strong you think you are. Like, like we are all uh, able 
to fall. And so our goal is not to put, you know, get as close to the edge as possible in these areas of our life and how we relate to people of the opposite sex. Our goal is to like stay as far back from the edge so that we don't fall. Yeah. Boundaries don't mean we're weak. They actually make us wise. Make us super wise. And so make sure you put some boundaries in your relationship as well. Yes. Good. Next question. Okay. This one's yours. All right. Uh, How do you handle a spouse? Who gets upset when you're not in the mood? Mood for what? (laughs) And they make you feel bad about it. Uh, What is a woman's role? They go on to ask, what is a woman's role when it comes to sexual relationship with her husband? Is saying no when you're exhausted from work, commute, and four children. Wasn't me. (laughs) I promise. Okay. How do you handle his negative response when he's <laughs> expecting it, but he ain't getting it, when it's doesn't, not happening? Um, all right. So I want to address this because this is real life, is it not? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we all can wrestle with this in our marriage relationship. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7 that uh, the wife does not have authority over her own body. In fact, the NLT says the husband, the wife gives a, th- no, yeah, you can go back. <laughs> that actually stay right there. The husband should fulfill his wife's Where are we? (laughs) I'm going to read it here. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. That's why I say the marriage relationship really is the greatest act of self-sacrifice that you will uh, ever be a part of. Do not deprive each other except um, of sexual relationships unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. I know some of you are like, I'm going to be praying a lot more these days. (laughs) Using that as an excuse. I got you. One more. (laughs) Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let me give you my best attempt uh, at answering this question again because I think this is real. You go to work, you have kids, you have after-school activities, like you, you have all these things pulling you in different directions, so you know, you're always going, 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 and it's easy to get exhausted. And if we're not careful, here's what can happen. Intimacy can take a back seat in a relationship. This part of, of your relationship can e- easily get put on the back burner, and sex can become something that's transactional. And you never want sex to be something that is transactional. And I would say, uh, if you don't intentionally and regularly stoke the fire of intimacy in the relationship, it will burn out. You know, just like a fire is going to burn out if you don't add fuel. You know, if you don't add fuel to the fire, it's going to burn out. If you don't regularly and intentionally stoke that fire, uh, the sex in the relationship the intimacy will start to burn out. Now, I know when you hear something like, oh, you gotta be regular and intentional about it, some of you, you know, would push back and be like, well, that doesn't sound, you know, it's supposed to be spontaneous. It's supposed to be, you know, when Barry White is playing and we got candles on and we just had an incredible date and all that. Hey, listen to me. Sometimes that is what it is. Most of the time, that's not what it is. Like sometimes, how many of you know, you got a two-year-old, and you got six minutes, you're like, hey, throw on some Daniel Tiger and let's go to the back room real quick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it's not always this big, you know, kind of uh, a production that, that needs to take place. So what I would say about that, you should never, though, guilt your spouse 
into having sex. You should never shame them uh, into making love. Sex in a context of a marriage should be done out of respect, out of your desire, uh, and out of your, your honor for that other person. So let me ask you this question, and let, let me give you my answer to it. Do you have intimacy in your marriage when you feel like it? Or do you have intimacy in your marriage and sometimes that reignites the feeling? That begins to stoke the fire. It's not one or the other. I think it's both. I think, yes, there are times where, you know, it is spontaneous and you do got some berry White on and some candles going uh, and you feel like it. But I think there are other times where, listen, you're exhausted, but you choose even in those moments to say, you know what, I'm giving authority over my body to my spouse out of my love for them and desire to honor them and respect them. And even though you don't feel like it, that will often rekindle or reignite that feeling and begin to stoke that fire. Does that make sense? And here's what it's not, by the way, because I'll hear people say, um, you know, well, I'm just, I'll just take one for the team. That's what I'm going to do. I'll just take one for the team. <laughs> no, you're not. It's not taking one for the team. It's saying, I love you enough, yeah. and I respect you enough, and I want to honor you in that way to meet your needs. Does that make sense? Are we okay with that? Yes. We good? Okay. You got anything else you want to add no, to that? you're good. And what it does, too, right, is, is, is not allowing the enemy to gain a foothold. Again, because none of us are, you know, beyond temptation. And so when it's intentional and it's regular and I want to meet your needs and you want to meet my needs, then the enemy can't get in there because of our lack of self-control. Good, good. Awesome. Um, one more question. Uh, and this question is for Kristen. Uh, it says, Kristen, when your children have been, not your children, but maybe it applies to our maybe. children. <laughs> yeah. When your children have been challenging all day and the daily stresses are coming down on you, how do you hold it together and not bite everyone's head off and show God's love? This includes your husband. I didn't write this. <laughs> who is an innocent bystander at this point. I feel as if there are days I'm a fryer-breathing dragon and I should wear a beware sign around my neck. What do you say? Well, I love this question because I actually do feel like I wrote this question. I'm like... Everything she's saying in here, I'm like, me too, right? Me too, girl. Um, and there are times in your life where, where you feel so overwhelmed. And sometimes it's like a funny, fun, overwhelmed with all of your kids. I was telling people last night, just to get our four kids here on time last night, all the, the things that were going on, um, I had one child who looked at me and said, why did you put red makeup all over your face? And I was like, I'm just like sweating, trying to get all of you in the car. I'm so hot. The other one was like, why do you have a hood on the front of your shirt? And I was like, I don't. And right before that, we had been at a store, and our two-year-old looked at the clerk when we were checking out. He looked at her, and he told her, you look like chocolate. I want to eat you. <laughs> And I'm like, what in the world? Oh, my goodness. So there, there are times in your life you're just completely overwhelmed with all of the stuff that you have to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's for real, though. Like, yeah, we can't tell you other things that they say. <laughs> oh, those were the, yeah. Um, but so, so for this question, like, I want to come at this question from, like, a really honest and vulnerable place mm. with you guys this morning and tell you this is something that I really struggle with in my own life, 
Um, the, the lack of self-control that I can have sometimes and the verbal explosions that I can have with my kids um, and with my husband sometimes. Um, and, it, and it's always seems like it's only your family that sees that side of you, right? Like your kids and your spouse, like your friends and other people don't really see that side of you. And I think it's because we feel so comfortable with our families. We're sure that they're going to love us forever. But, but we're, we're doing damage and we're hurting the people that mean the most to us. Um, and I know I do that a lot of times because words can be extremely powerful so with my words, I can bring life and peace to my kids in the morning before school, and I can set them up to have a great day. Or with, the, with my words, I can bring destruction instantly to their attitudes and the way that their day is going to go. Um, Romans 8, 6 tells us this. I want us to check this out. It says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind, that leads to life, and it leads to peace. And it was about three years ago when we had our son, Gray, um, where a lot of this just kind of culminated in my life, just so much stuff going on. And all of a sudden, I had a new baby again, and I had to face sleep training and potty training. And now at this point in our life, like he's in daycare a couple days a week, so I've got a daycare schedule and a snack schedule to maintain with him. I've got a kid in elementary school, middle school, high school, just so much stuff going on in my life, and I started to have these feelings of being completely overwhelmed, like in over my head, so overwhelmed, and I, and I started to become a person that I didn't even recognize. Some of the things that I would say, I'd be like, who, who is saying this stuff? Like, what is going on? So it's just been a really hard and challenging battle for me, and I've done a couple of of things that I just want to share with you that have helped a little bit along the way. So that some of these are practical, and I hope it hope you're able to apply them to your own life. The first thing um, that I try to do is just to be aware of what my triggers are. So, so for me, um, I'm an Enneagram One, which means that I like order and I like structure and I like schedules. Like Colby said, I like spreadsheets. But on the flip side of that, I can be um, critical and I can be uptight and I can be inflexible. And so I think kind of knowing the way God's wired you and what your personality is is great if we use that information to grow yeah. and not that we use that information to explain away why we are the way we are. Um, so for me, knowing all that about myself, one of my big triggers is messes. Like if I, if I come home from work and the boys have gotten home from school right before me um, and there is a mess everywhere, it can just send me like into crazy town and I say things that I don't mean to say and I yell and they're like, what is going on? So I've learned that's a trigger. I need to call them before I get home and I need to be like, um, I'm on my way home. <laughs> like pick up the book get bag. Get ready. <laughs> get I'm ready. Pick up the book bag that you threw in the front yard and, you're, and put your <laughs> lunchbox on the counter. Like all the little things that... Um, they can do just to make that, that time when I enter the house a little bit easier. So I know that that's a trigger for me. Another thing um, that I do is I don't go into a certain room in our house, which is one of our sons who shall remain nameless, his bedroom. Like I literally, I cannot bring myself to go into that room. So he has two <laughs> rules. Number one, no wet things on the floor. Number two, no food because we don't want bugs. 
Outside of that, live in filth all you want. I don't care. <laughs> I just cannot go in that room. So messes might not be something that triggers you when you're overwhelmed. You might find something else. But, but, but think about it and figure out what that is. And then step two, communicate it. So we have older kids. I can communicate that to my kids. I understand you might not be able to tell a three-year-old, uh, you need to clean up before I enter the room. Uh, but there are th- certain things in your life that you could do. And in that same vein with communication, talk to your spouse. Let them know when they're on their way home. You know, give them warning. Like, this has been one of those days. I am cr- going crazy. I need help. And when you get home, I'm leaving. Or when you get home, I need you to take all of these kids on a walk because I need some alone time in my own house. Whatever it is that you need, communicate. Because guess what? He's been gone all day, and he doesn't know what he doesn't know. And so be aware of that and communicate that with your spouse. And the last two, spend time in God's Word. Every single morning before all of those feet hit the floor, the little kids, I have to get up myself. And I don't like to get up. I'm not an early morning person, but I have to get up, spend time in God's Word. I read through the one-year Bible. Um, and this is just a freebie. I, I, there's an app that I use. It's called Read Scripture. It's free. I download that. I use it. I don't understand all the Old Testament, all the stuff I read sometimes. I'm like, I, I can't apply it to my own life without help. It is a great resource in my life. It's a quick video that you can watch. It helps you make sense of some of the things that you're reading that you don't understand. Ver- it's called Read Scripture. And um, YouVersion is another great app where you, there's a search engine and you can put in the feelings that you're feeling. I'm overwhelmed. I'm dealing with some panic. I I feel lonely today. You can put words in. It'll give you a bunch of scripture. You can read that over your life. And last, um, and most importantly, is to spend time in prayer. Just go before God and say, listen, I'm here again. (laughs) I know I was here yesterday, and I know I was here the day before, but I'm here again, and I just ask the Holy Spirit that you fill my life today. Fill me with your spirit. Help me when I have those feelings of being overwhelmed. Help me to be aware instead of having to wear a sign that says beware, right? Help me be aware of those things that cause me to be overwhelmed um, and take out things on my kids and my family that I don't want to. Uh, So if you can find that trigger, communicate with your spouse, and then spend time in God's Word and pray. I hope that it helps me, and I pray that it helps you too in your life. Well, let's do that now. Why why don't you guys stand up? We want to pray for you, pray with you. Uh, And again, we want you to know that we don't come at this from a place of, again, having it all figured out. But, you know, we're doing the best that we can. And we're trying to to navigate this, and we're just going to run after what God says. And, and, you know, if we fail along the way, we think that, you know, some of our greatest ministry can come out of our mess-ups and our weak points in our life. And so hopefully that we can be an example and you can learn some stuff along the way as well. But we wanna pray for you guys. God, we pray for this church. We pray for the relationships represented in this room today. God, that you would uh, continue to lead us to becoming the people that you've called us to be together. Knowing that what you brought together, no one can split apart, God, but you brought us together for a reason and with a purpose. And that is to, to really ultimately do the best that we can with one another because we're, we're better together than we are apart. And so, God, we pray that we would look to your word daily to give us uh, wisdom and guidance and leading us, God, into our relationships. And uh, we also pray, God, for restoration and healing for those 
that would hear today that uh, you can move on after an affair. You can move on after infidelity. We pray that you would strengthen hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we also pray for those that have never taken that first step in the beginning of a relationship with you. And maybe you're here today with every head bowed, every eyes closed. And you might be saying, you know, I need to begin uh, my first priority relationship, and that is with Jesus and letting him pay for my sins. So I don't carry around shame. I don't carry around guilt. I need to become who God has called me to become in order to then find the person I'm to do life with. And so maybe you're here. You're just one step away from giving your life to Jesus, one decision away. And I want to lead you in a prayer that does that. You simply say something like this in your heart. You can whisper it to God. But you should know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you did not have to die in them. And so you could be set free from the penalty of death. And as you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth, you believe God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. And so let me give you some language to do that right now. You can say something like this, Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And so from this moment on, I, I will repent and I will choose to follow you. I believe God raised you from the dead so I could be raised to a new life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this awesome journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can do so by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.